0: Today on CityCast Denver. It was a big news week, so we're slowing things down a bit, taking a breath, and taking a deeper look at some of those stories. Today is Friday, September 3rd, 2021. I'm Xandra McMahon, and this is CityCast Denver. Well, hello, host Bree Davies and newsletter writer Peyton Garcia. Happy Friday! Happy Friday! Happy long weekend! Ha-
1: oh yeah, we get a long weekend. I can't wait to clean out my
0: clean my house. That's oh no labor, Bree. No labor. That's what this day is all about. You see
1: my desk. Oh it's man, I love
0: trash. <laughs> okay, so like I said at the top. This was a really big news week, um, and obviously the biggest story among them was uh, that a grand jury has officially indicted three Aurora police officers and two paramedics in the death of Elijah McClain. Um, Now, I'll quickly go through the facts of this case again, even though this is a national story and I'm sure most listeners are familiar with it, um, but Elijah McClain was a young black man who was killed in uh, 2019, August of 2019, um, after he was stopped by Aurora police officers. He, he had not committed any crime. He was just walking down the road, and they stopped him. They forcefully detained him, and then when paramedics arrived on the scene, they instructed paramedics to give him a dose of ketamine, which was um, turned out to be a, a lethal dose, and he went into cardiac arrest and died three days later. And now, so 2021, fast forward, this grand jury comes out with these uh, charges, which is uh, manslaughter for each of the accused and also uh, criminally negligent charges. Um, but, yeah, this is a big case with a lot of moving pieces. So um, I'm just going to open it up. Bree, Peyton, anything you want to add, anything I missed, I'm sure I've missed certain facts that we should include.
1: I mean, I think it's important to realize an indictment is not, um, that's the beginning step of of this process legally. Right, not a conviction. Yeah, so we still have a long road ahead of us. I think, too, I can't remember which reporter pointed it out on Twitter yesterday, but um, Elijah's, first of all, Elijah's case didn't really pick up steam until um, I believe almost a year after the incident happened. Um, obviously locally folks had been talking about it, but it, it, it gained national attention last year. And part of that was the depiction of him as a person. Um, so he was known as an extremely gentle, loving person. The account of what he said during this, uh, situation with the police, he was very calm. I think that's what made it especially upsetting, but a reporter pointed out, maybe it was Alex Burness, um, just because someone is a, an acceptable figure in society doesn't mean that should be the only reason that we care about this case, and so I think it's just it's just one of those instances where this was a black man that was profiled by police. it doesn't matter if he was a kind person it doesn't matter if he volunteered at animal shelters like those are all he's obviously a wonderful person and this, nothing like this should have happened to him but the the facts of the case are this was state violence against a black person
0: mm-hmm.
1: And that, to me, right. was what what really sticks out about this case.
0: Yeah, like the outrage should be there regardless of, you know, any other details about Elijah McClain's life. Like it's still, um, you know, police, like you said, profiling him <clears throat> because they they stopped him for really no good reason. Someone called. Someone probably called and said, oh. There's you know Elijah was wearing a face mask because he um had anemia and so he ran cold a lot and so he was wearing a face mask and they thought that was like his... a full face
1: mask not like what we're wearing now but yes right, like that was mask. literally all he was doing was wearing that and yeah. walking down the street um which he is should have been able to do regardless.
2: Yeah, for me it's it's the rapid escalation of situations like these like Yes, okay, the police were called and um they you know, they wanted to talk to a lot I mean, it's just
1: Like how gonna, did you get to that point so quickly? Right.
2: You're gonna throw a hundred and forty pound young man to the ground and then give him five hundred milligrams of ketamine. Like that it it should not have gotten to that point. Um
0: No. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I yeah. I feel you and I think um that that aspect of it, the ketamine aspect, the amount of it is is wild. It, so my my sister works in emergency medicine, and ketamine use uh, is not super uncommon um, for restraining folks. Um, but the amount that was used on him, and the fact that his demeanor was, by all accounts, not needing that whatsoever, was was one of the more shocking aspects of this case. But yeah, the fact that he was treated that way.
0: Since Elijah's death, there have been state laws that have gone into place. So, like, there was a big one last summer. Yes. Um, and now that means, you know, that limits the use of ketamine in those kinds of situations. And that was directly in response to uh, what happened to Elijah McClain. Right. And his, his death also prompted the banning of corroded chokeholds,
2: um, limiting deadly force as a last resort, um, and requiring body cams on officers. So so his death, I mean, while this indictment is is but a small victory on a really long road. I mean, his death has prompted some serious scrutiny of local mm-hmm. law enforcement.
1: And I think it should be pointed out, too, that the investigation happened at the behest of the governor. And um, that definitely was a direct result of uprisings of his family, of the community, of folks coming out and and protesting the situation and bringing bringing it national. I mean, that was part of it was it got national attention because people here in Denver were in the streets saying we're not – this isn't – we're not – you can't just drop this. We
2: need and to- it's worth it's worth noting sorry breathe that no, 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 the, go ahead. Um, Adams County prosecutors originally declined to charge mm. any of the first responders. So originally the um, the forensic pathologist that first reviewed the autopsy said that it, his death was undetermined and nobody was charged. The Adams County prosecutors said that they weren't going to pursue charges against anybody. And it was only because of public pressure that Governor Polis insisted that Phil Weiser take a closer look at the case. Um, and, and that's part of why it's been two years for
0: any action to happen. Right. Okay, and then the crazy thing about that first forensic pathologist. Um, last year, uh, CPR justice reporter Allison Sherry did an investigation and found out that Aurora PD was in the room during that first autopsy and, um, like we're communicating with the coroner's office before they ruled Elijah McClain's death as undetermined. So it was like, obviously we needed a second opinion there. And now the grand jury had another, you know, forensic pathologist do another autopsy and they found that Elijah McLean. um, you know, his death was a homicide. They ruled it a homicide. So it was like two very different um, results there. And and I'm just, uh, I, I'm I glad that CPR uncovered that those officers were involved in that first autopsy. And that just kind of boggles my mind. Okay. So,
2: so back in August, um, a third, third party investigation for firm looked into the handling of um, the Elijah McClain case, and they came back with a 160-page report um, that says that the Aurora Police Department is woefully behind its its law enforcement peers. Um, and it's just, it's not, they're not using best practices. They're not using good disciplinary protocols. Um, and they had a list of like 50 recommendations for, for the police department. Um, so I think there's a lot of really big holes in the Aurora Police Department that Mm. need to be addressed.
0: Has there been any response from APD uh, after that report or since the indictment? I don't think I've seen one, but um, I did see that uh, the Aurora Police Association Board of Directors released a statement yesterday. Um, Yes, I wanted to (laughs) talk about that too. Uh, I can read a little bit of it, but it's just basically completely standing behind the officers. And this organization... They're they kind of seem like an activist organization for Aurora police, Um, you know, so I I don't know how official of an entity they are, like in terms of like being connected to the department or how much sway they have in the department. But I mean, they're a union, right? I mean, in what I read, they're a union organization. Yeah, they help negotiate contracts and stuff like that. So, yeah, it does seem tied. So they're
1: pretty intimately involved. Yeah.
0: And uh, here was uh, some of their statement immediately. This is what they said. Immediately after Elijah McLean's death, then Aurora Police Department Chief Nick Metz stated clearly that Mr. McLean was not murdered by Aurora Police Department officers. Nothing has changed. Our officers did nothing wrong. Sadly, Mr. McLean died due to a combination of exertion due to his decision to violently resist arrest and a pre existing heart condition. He was alive and talking when the officers turned him over to EMS. There is no evidence that APD officers caused his death. Now, this is the part that really. Ah, gets me. The hysterical overreaction to this case has severely damaged the police department. Inevitably, the public are the ones who've paid the price. This fall, the public has the opportunity to restore sanity to the situation in the city council elections. They should not take a return to normalcy for granted.
2: Oh, that makes my blood boil. The hysterical overreaction reaction and you know who paid the price no not elijah's mother not elijah himself not his loved ones Mm -hmm. the public and the aurora police department and their shattered image that's who paid the price i don't even
0: know what and then they take it they take it as an opportunity to talk about elections of course i don't know it was like wow this is this is baffling to me just this whole statement um it is bold very really freaking bold Um, I mean, this has just already been such a charged situation for the last two years. And I just I am surprised that they were they felt bold enough to come out with a statement like that. Well, um, going forward, I mean, no court dates have been set yet, but um, I I saw uh, that the five people. So like the, the three officers, and the two paramedics um, that were charged, they did turn themselves in on Wednesday night um, and then they were like immediately released on bond. I think they each posted a $10,000 bond um, and uh, they're just going to be waiting for their day in court. And, um, you know, I don't, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next few months if protests do start to spark up again. And, of course, you know, CityCast Denver is going to be continuing to follow that case as it un- unravels. And we'll, I'm sure we'll be doing a lot more episodes about it. Uh, so stick with us. OK, well, um, we're going to move on to some other news that happened this week. Uh, and I didn't really know what to call this segment. Um because we kind of just made it up last night. But uh, I was like loosely calling it in our little like prep doc, like WTF business stories. Because there was just a lot of random business news this week that got us talking. So we're going to run through some of those stories. Bree, do you want to go first? <laughs> sure. Uh, so nightclub, uh,
1: beta nightclub in Lodo is um, potentially, the, the, city is thre- the city is threatening to shut it down. Um, after numerous safety violations, some undercover cop activity that uncovered some things in the club that, to be honest with you, you could uncover in any club (laughs) in the city. (laughs) Um, But, uh, gosh, there's so many angles to this story that I could go off on. For one, I I I I had not checked in with Beta Night Club in a couple years, so I didn't know if they were still doing their regular EDM programming. Turns out they are not. Hmm. Um, And when I found out, excuse me, that they're doing more hip hop oriented events, this story all of a sudden made way more sense. So the city of Denver uh, has had a long history and checkered history with shutting down hip-hop clubs it is something oh absolutely it happened very heavily in the early 2000s when I was 21 I know it happened in the 90s Um, my friends used to work at a club called beyond which was in 16th street mall and after a shooting occurred way outside I mean blocks away from it they used that as and well they came from this club we're going to shut this club down and the rules were if you're going to reopen this club you can play anything but hip-hop so it became a country bar. What? Mm-hmm. And so this is oh, not God. an uncommon story. Um, I can't say that I know enough to speak about this particular situation at Beta. But to me, there's probably a little bit of that profiling going on by the city. Like, oh, we don't do hip hop crowds. It's very coded. Um, it happened to Crush. It happened to the F-Stop, I think, in the late 90s, early 2000s, which was a really well-known hip-hop club here in Denver. Um, So that part of the story made a lot more sense once I dug a little bit deeper. Um, Something else interesting about the story, the owner of Beta is quoted as being named Valentis Corleones, which is not his name. If you Google Beta nightclub owner, a different name comes up. Uh, My friend Dan pointed that out on Twitter. He's like, you just do a little Googling and you're like – this is not this person's real name. Um, so there's that. Uh, the part that stuck out to me too is particularly funny was that undercover police were able to quote unquote purchase fake and real cocaine inside of the club. <laughs> A, I don't know what fake cocaine is. Um, and B... It's uh, baking I, soda. <laughs> baking soda. Someone said maybe it's Adderall if you want to count legal cocaine. I don't know. Oh, um, okay. But uh, also... You can buy cocaine in any club in Denver. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not a person that purchases right. cocaine. I have just been to many clubs and walked into many restrooms, and it is happening everywhere. So that can't be the case to me. I don't know. This to me is just a little. Something's a little fishy about this. The city doesn't want them running beta for some reason, and that's what I feel like is really going on here. That's fascinating, uh, yeah. Brie. <laughs> I.
2: That yeah, that's just so interesting. I'm I'm sure I'm not the only one, you know, listening who did not make that
1: correlation. Yeah, so th- so part of it was they said there's a you know there was a result of several complaints and a recent increase in nine one one calls to beta. Um, I think Denverite did a report a couple years ago. Ashley Dean did where they were looking at the same situation happened with Crush, uh, Cold Crush in sorry Cold Crush in. uh, in Five Points where it was, the claim was, okay, there was violence outside of the club. There were all of these calls to the club. This is why we need to shut down the club. And then Denverite reported, actually, there were just as many 911 calls to other establishments in the area. So that wasn't really true. So I'd be curious to see if the 911 calls were as much at other clubs around Beta or if this is just a situation where there's, for some reason, the city doesn't want Beta to be open.
0: Well, and uh, this might not be as related as I think it is in my head, but I know, like, there are, there, like you're saying, there's violence that happens outside of clubs, like, all over Denver. Like, this oh, is not, it's, and it's you Lodo. know, specific to hip-hop clubs. And, like, I think, like, th- there was, like, a horrible hate crime a few years ago in front of the church nightclub where two um, gay men were stabbed. Yeah. And I- I'm like, well, that didn't really garner any that much attention from the police i mean i don't i like they weren't like trying to shut down the church nightclub so i don't know it's just like yeah. it's very strange to me and then going back to the guy's name i mean maybe Bree, he just changed his name recently I, and that's why Yeah, he's i don't know i i'm just like i'm trying to make sense of the name thing Peyton, you want to go? Yeah. So there was a story in Westward that came out earlier this week. It was written
2: by Gil Asakawa, who we've had on the show in the past. Yeah, Gil. And it was concerning Domo, which is a, quote, country-style Japanese restaurant located in the Lincoln Park neighborhood near the Auraria campus. I have not been there before um but apparently oh, it's been around I know I I have never been there but apparently it's been around for 3 decades and they have a really um loyal fan base so anyways the story is is kind of bizarre apparently back in July a patron went in and took a 45 second video while they were in the restaurant and they posted it to TikTok there was no commentary no narration um I, the the video is no longer accessible. So I don't actually know what the video was. Um, but based on descriptions that I found, it just, I just imagine it was a video of the inside. Um, but apparently it went viral on TikTok. And the next day after the video went live, uh, they had the restaurant had more than 100 people lined up outside wanting to come in. Um, and so the story goes on to talk with gaku homa i am deeply sorry if i've butchered how to say that i tried to look up a pronunciation and couldn't find one um but they go on to talk with him about the whole experience and he's the and owner right yes he's the owner he also is the sensei at the dojo that is attached the akita dojo um and he just went on to say that it, it was not it was, it was not a good experience, um, having that much publicity. First of all, he was, they were really caught off guard. They were not prepared for this like sudden influx in customers. Um, and it was all, it just, it sounds like it was all just very jarring. Um, and he felt especially apologetic toward their, their loyal clientele that come back regularly and were having to deal with, um, long, long, long waits, like an hour to two hours, um, and suffering service uh because of this and then the the way he makes it sound the way that gaku makes it sound in the westward article is um a lot of these people who were coming because they saw it on tiktok were dressing up in japanese cosplay (gasps) outfits
0: which what the hell
2: inappropriate to me Um, my guess is, well, I've never been to Domo. I've looked up pictures and they have this really stunning Japanese flower garden. The whole place is gorgeous inside and and out. And yeah, the the inside is just like very beautifully decorated with like traditional, um, Japanese Mm. furniture and, and, and decor. Um. So I imagine that's why it got so much traction. Yeah, but the whole dressing up thing seems highly inappropriate. And then he said that these people were showing up and they were mad because service was taking so Mm. long. And they just were showing up to take TikTok videos and selfies. And um, they were kind of causing scenes and just making things difficult for his normal customer base. So, I mean, he took to Facebook and, you know, apologized and was just like, I really hope that this ends soon. I have no idea why this is happening. Um, And ultimately, he did end up shutting down the restaurant for several weeks. Uh, He shut it down in July and he just wanted to take that time to kind of regroup and let it all cool down. They reopened um, last month, middle of August, um, but on very limited hours, just over the weekend Um, and nothing like Late night. So it was really bizarre. I don't really know what to make of that story. I'm not a TikToker. I don't know what's popular among the
1: youth of today. Um, so I don't know. It was just, it was very weird. Wow. I, so my take on this is, well, one, so to, to describe the interior of it, it's absolutely gorgeous. All the tables are kind of lower to the ground because the chairs themselves are like wooden, almost like tree stumps.
0: Hmm. It's, so you, it's you've been Brie. Oh, it's
1: it's shout out to my friend, uh, Kaylin Heffernan. It's one of her favorite restaurants in the whole city. Oh, cool. Um, it, to me, atmosphere wise, it is perfect, it's beautiful. So, but what I'm seeing in this story is. On face value, you could be like, oh, an old Denver establishment gets reinvigorated by TikTok, right? Because we saw that happen Mm -hmm. with Fascination, which is a store on South Broadway that's been in Denver since 1987. Not at that particular location, but they've been a store since 1987. Um, The owners, Pam and Paula Italiano's daughter made a TikTok video of the store and it blew up and their sales went through the roof and it was amazing. And what's cool about Fascination is they've been selling Doc Martens since before anyone else in the country was selling Doc Martens. Like (laughs) they have been, they're the originators of really wild style. So it helped them, right? It was great. It was great for them. But for a business like Domo, it's a little bit different. They didn't need that info. Obviously the way that it functions, it's kind of a slow paced place. You go there you don't go there expecting to be served immediately. You don't go like, and mm-hmm. I think that the folks that went there from the tick, a lot of the folks that went there from the TikTok, tock from, from seeing it on TikTok, maybe had a different expectation and it's just, you yeah. can't conform a business to be what you want it to be. And that's what it sounded like happened here. Mm-hmm. And also, he said in that story, in the article, it's a wonderful article by Bill, by Gill. I'm sorry. You should read it in Westward just because you get to hear from the owner himself. There's some gorgeous quotes from him. But um, he, they were pre-pandemic, their staff was 30 people. Post-pandemic, they're at, or during the pandemic now, they have 10 staff members. So if you can imagine oh, how overwhelming man. this has been on top of dealing with the pandemic. And it's just to me, it's like, this business didn't need this kind of extra business and it also just didn't need a lot of disrespect. And that's what really bothered me was it becoming um Domo becoming a background for right. someone's social yeah. media. Yeah. It's really gross. That's to what me. feels gross to me is
2: yeah. So to just to go and dress up in anime garb and be a place where you can take that's selfies really It's yeah it feels gross and disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Um and it's just it's just an interesting way to see how social media, I mean, th- what the things that social media can do in this day and age, and that it's not always good. That kind of publicity is not always a good thing.
0: Yeah. <sighs> very, yeah, again, a, just a, a WTF business story, if you will. I'm really trying to have this name catch on for this category, but it's not very good. So if you if you have a better idea, listener, <laughs> for this category where we talk about weird business stories, I don't know, like tweet me or something. All right. Well, let's move on to our final category, staff picks, because, uh, you know, we love to uh, give you recommendations as you're going into your weekend about things that uh, we're doing, things that we think you might like to do. Uh, Peyton, take it away. Yeah, so... You might have seen this in my newsletter
2: from a few weeks ago, but I recommended it as the Made in Denver section. It's a podcast called Escaping Denver, and it's actually created by some guys in Canada. um, And... The premise of the podcast is, it's so it's an audio drama, it's fictional, um, but the premise is you're following these two characters who are trapped underneath Denver International Airport, and they don't know how they got there, and they're trying to get out, and it plays into all of the theories that surround DIA, all the conspiracy theories, sorry, all the conspiracy theories that surround DIA. Um, and the guys in Canada, from what it sounds like, they're just like really into conspiracy theories and wanted to create kind of a spooky podcast, and they thought DIA would be a great setting for that. Um, and it launched in Canada a few months ago and was like really, really, really successful. And so I, I took a look into it, and it's it's being dropped every couple of a new episodes being dropped every couple of weeks now, um, here in the U.S. and it's it's good. I like it. It's the acting is kind of super cheesy, um, but once you kind of get used to that, uh, I mean, I'm hooked. I'm I'm hooked. I want to see what happens. Um, might not be everyone's cup of tea. If you don't like it, I don't want to hear about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, oh my god! I, I think it's what a warm. I don't- <laughs> staff recommendation i don't want
2: people tweeting me like that was a terrible
1: recommendation
0: i thought it was fun
2: check it out it's kind of silly um i enjoyed it escaping
1: denver the escaping that denver podcast fun. okay all right what do you guys got uh, so i'm gonna recommend first friday on uh on santa fe the art district on santa fe i'm sorry oh it's back yes denver's art district is what it's known on denver's art district on santa fe um while art districts themselves could be fairly controversial to me, uh, in the function of a city, a growing city, the uh, the art district on Sa- the art district on Santa Fe is our oldest art district. It's also where First Fridays really originated in Denver. Um, they were really kind of doing them unofficially before it became this official event. So I always recommend going to check it out. Um, it's it's sort of the home and the heart of. Uh, our Chicano arts world. It's where it sort of began. It's where it used to center around before a lot of the artists themselves got priced out, but there's still a lot of legacy businesses there on Santa Fe between seventh and 10th. Um, So I just, and also they've recently done some work on the street where they've um, slimmed down the traffic side of it and made it more pedestrian friendly. So it's a lot safer to kind of hang out on Santa Fe if you're a pedestrian And um, so I'd recommend going down there, checking out um, Denver Art Society always has up and coming artists. You can purchase art directly from artists there. I always, I highly, highly push folks to buy art directly from artists. So um, go check out Mm -hmm. Art District on Santa Fe for First Friday.
0: That's a great one, Brie. I I second that recommendation because it's super fun and um, there's like, there's free wine and cheese, too. I don't know if they're doing that in the pandemic. True. but I don't know either. I loved, I loved that. I don't know either. <laughs> uh, anyways, but yeah. And then mine's um, mine's a little bit more of a serious note. Again, going back to the story we talked about earlier with Elijah McLean's case. Um, Robert Sanchez, the journalist for 5280, um, had this amazing story that came out for September's issue um, where he read... so. Basically last I think it started last summer, like, you know, when Elijah McClain's case really started hitting like the national airwaves, people across the country started writing to Governor Polis, like asking him to take action. And he it ended up with like eight thousand like more than eight thousand postcards and letters that came into the governor's Whoa. office. And then all those letters, um, went to history Colorado because they're going to preserve them and like put them on display eventually, like make some kind of exhibit out of it, I guess. And, um, Robert Sanchez at 5280 magazine sat down and read every single one of those letters and postcards and then wrote this like really beautiful story about, um, the story is called the enduring legacy of Elijah McClain's tragic death. And that's, essentially what the story is about is just this this legacy that's going to live on and and how his story touched so many people across the country yeah. that's beautiful so it's definitely worth a read um it's really really and well that's in 5280 5280 magazine yep Well, that's all for today here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were me, Alexandra McMahon, producer Paul Caroli. Hi. And Natalie Rivera. Hi. Bree Davies is our host. Hi. And Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter. That's me. Our music is by Los Mochachetes, with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren, plus more from the Epidemic Sound Library. If you haven't already, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. What are you waiting for? Subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at CityCast Denver. And tell a stranger about us the next time you see them. You can sign up for our daily newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back Tuesday with more news from around the city. Monday is Labor Day. So uh, if you get a chance, don't labor. Okay. Have a good weekend.
1: Oh, my God. I didn't pick a staff pick. Whoops.